Welcome to Pod Rocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams to improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it for free at LogRocket.com. Hey, everybody. I am Paige Niedringhaus, and I'm a staff software engineer at the IoT startup Blues. And today we have Adam Argyle joining us. He is a Chrome CSS developer advocate at Google, and he is back to talk about CSS nesting. Welcome, Adam. Hello. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the callback. We are very excited to have you back with us. It was such a great time the last time you joined us. So I'm excited to talk about more CSS goodness with you. Oh, sweet. I'm excited. I love this topic. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get right into it. Maybe you can give us a brief overview of what CSS nesting is for developers who might not be as experienced with it. And what are some of the primary benefits that people can expect from it? Yeah, nesting, we've been doing this in preprocessors for about 10 years. I think it was started by Less or what the desire initially was. Well, it's kind of annoying repeating yourself. It's like a developer mantra. We want to be dry. No one wants to be wet. Maybe that's the future when the pendulum swings the other way. We're going to be like, remember when all of our code was dry and now we're wet? We're so much better now. (laughs) Anyway, dry meaning don't repeat yourself for anyone that hasn't heard that acronym before. And so in the spirit of not wanting to repeat yourself, which is a great goal, there's a lot of benefits that you get from doing that inside of CSS. So in CSS, you have scenarios where you're targeting a button, for example. And you've got things inside of the button. Maybe it's an icon. It could be other bits of text, a span, and different things. And in a button, you also have hover, and active, and focus, and variance, and all of these different things that sort of are all revolving around the base button class. But in traditional CSS, you'd have to repeat your selector over and over again. You'd say dot button, dot dark, and you'd write your styles. And that was after you already wrote dot button, You open up your curlies, you put your styles, then you have to hit a new line and a whole new selector, and you end up with a file largely repeating itself with the word button over and over and over again, references to the pseudo selectors over and over again. And so we've gotten different selector conveniences over time, like we have is and where, things that can group things in the middle, but that'd be a whole other topic. Although is did totally help unlock nesting for CSS, but some of the benefits are, of course, you're not repeating yourself, so you get to right button once and inside of there you can put your styles as you had but instead of repeating and making a new selector you get to continue the selector from where you are which is really nice so you can say and space or and dot dark and this would create a variant of dot button dot dark and you can write styles inside of there so the browser or the build process whichever it was that you're using at the time will take that dot button and place it where the and is And in some preprocessors, you could omit the and, but especially in the case of like button here, we wanted button.dark. We wanted the compound selector where they're squished together with no space. And so it would be required to put the and. The idea there is you're not repeating yourself. You can contain all of the styles. You can co-locate them under one base selector. So all of your focus and your hover states and all of it is inside of there, plus your media queries, which becomes critical because that's another moment where you would have had to traditionally eject out of the scope that you were in, this button scope, this button selector, uh, and go rewrite button inside of a whole new media query and repeat everything all over again. It was super obnoxious. And now you can nest these things directly inside. So besides being dry, besides being convenient, it also makes smaller file sizes. That was one of the original things too for getting it included in the browser was these build tools would take this convenient authoring style and then explode it into 
the old syntax, which has a lot of repetition. If we can reduce the repetition, we can reduce the file size, we can ship more CSS for less. That's pretty much the ethos. That is a lot of stuff. And I have to say, when I was reading through the documentation, the ability to scope media queries inside of particular selectors was something that I never even considered before. You know, it just never has been a part of CSS. So seeing that you could actually nest them inside was probably one of the coolest things that I learned while I was just perusing the documentation. It is great. It's been in all the preprocessors, but in the original nesting spec, it was not there. And I was pretty adamant it needed to be there. I was like, this is critical. And the initial pushback was, we can't do it. How are we going to parse a media query in the middle of a selector? Which also, by the way, was already valid. It wouldn't continue your selector, but it would parse. Anyway, it's just like a weird thing. Anyway, we figured it out after some deliberation and me being insistent, a way was discovered. And that's the story with nesting in general. So much of it initially was very rigid and not full featured in comparison to the preprocessors. And me and others and community, tons of folks kept piling in every iteration on nesting and just being like, no, it needs to be better. And after maybe six or seven rock tumbles, we have ourselves a pearl at the moment, I think. So how long would you say you've been iterating on trying to get selectors and nesting into the actual browser instead of us having to use preprocessors like SAS and less and things like that? My gut wants to say four years. It might be less than that. The original spec was written by Tab Atkins in 2016, maybe 2014, so almost 10 years ago in some cases. But it went stale and dormant, and it was in that very rigid state where it had some of the features that SAS and Stylus and other preprocessors had, but it didn't have all of them. And it was also so rigid that it was very undesirable looking to people. And it was led by Tab who couldn't see some of the potential workarounds that we discovered later on. And so it didn't seem like it had legs. But what I knew is that CSS nesting was a very important part of the authoring experience. It's in everybody's build systems. And if CSS was ever going to really help people escape CSS build processes, nesting was going to be critical on that. And so I reached out to Tab and I was like, hey, I see you're the spec editor. This is a very important spec. Can I help you? How can I help? Basically, I was like new at the working group and looking for ways to help. And I had no idea what I was doing. And so I was like, hey, if you're really busy, just tell me what to do. I'll go in there and I'll do it. I'll figure stuff out. And it started more with me like really writing bad things. This is also a good pro tip. <laughs> if people aren't doing things or like a developer's not doing it or designer's not doing it, you can just be like, oh, I'll go do it. And then you go do a bad job and they're like, ah, scoot over. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how a lot of it happened. Whereas I would go write something poorly and Tab would come in and write it much more succinctly. And I would write more things poorly and he would write it succinctly. I would ask for features. He would say no. I'd ask for them again. He would say no. And, and it's just like the cycles kept on going. But it took a long time. And until like last year, we got a prototyper. So this is like internal an engineer was like, I'm going to try it. And they started implementing the feature set. We started also seeing post CSS adopt the spec because they saw the spec was alive again mm -hmm. and it was revitalized. And this post CSS plugin was following along and kind of a bummer for them because the spec went through so many changes that the post CSS plugin had to churn a lot in that way. All of these processes led us to the one we have today. That's excellent. So you've talked a little bit about some of the benefits, the better readability, the modularity of your code, the maintainability of style sheets. What are some best practices that you would recommend for developers 
to keep in mind when they're using CSS nesting to avoid potential issues because I've seen the ampersand and it seems like you can do a lot of good with the ampersand or you can shoot yourself in the foot if you misplace it just a little bit. Yes, you can. It can be recursive. I think you can do the billion laughs attack with nesting pretty easily. You got a selector that references the parent, which referenced the parent, and each one compounds itself more. And after about 10 nests in, you've got yourself into a logarithmic shenanigan. That was fun to say. I should write that down. Logarithmic shenanigan. So that's one potential is if you're not careful, that and can look so deceptively simple in your editor, but actually represent something quite gnarly. And that kind of goes into tip number one, I guess we're at tip number one is don't nest too deep. There is a limit. I think it's up to the browsers right now. They get to decide the amount of nesting that you can do. Mm-hmm. It's quite large. You're not going to find yourself there, but you might. I've seen some SAS style sheets that the authored nesting didn't look gnarly, but the output was incredibly bloated and gnarly. So you got to be a little bit weary of what are you extending? And in, the big tip for me is if you find yourselves about four levels deep, which is uh, you can do that in a button. For example, you can have like a button dot dark mm-hmm. and then the reduced transparency dark mode version that's also respecting motion and all these things that can compound pretty quickly. If you find yourself at four or five levels deep, start a new selector. Just make a new class and start nesting again. And yeah. then it's all good because it it also twists. There's a slippery slope with nesting that's fun but also dangerous, which is as the author in the moment, in the heat of the moment, when you're just sitting there like writing selectors and styling something, your brain has all the context. It goes, I know what I'm extending. You're four or five levels deep. You're like, I know what I'm doing. And then someone else visits it and they go, I don't know what this is doing. And so if you flatten that and don't quite go so deep, it's easier for someone's brain to mentally concatenate and formulate the end selector. And so that's a tip there is if you find yourself going too deep, just start a new selector, put a class on whatever it is that was really deep in there. I think another tip is also, it's very tempting. And, and maybe this is even a way that is good to work. I, I don't know. There's a tight coupling here. So you can put a class name on like a card and then you could nest all of the different aspects inside of the card. And maybe you don't want to use class names. And so you're targeting the nodes directly. And eventually what you find is that your nesting in CSS is very close to the DOM structure. So you've got like a card with a header and a footer and a section. And inside of the section is a figure. And inside of the figure is an image and a fig caption. And you're not targeting these things by class. You're targeting them via their DOM structure. And that is easy to write and seems reasonable. But as you move things around and you create a variant that's like a landscape variant where the something moved around, you're like, ah, I wish I'd used a class because then my styles don't really care about the markup as much. The structure is less relevant. So you can find yourself in a tight coupling. And I think that usually results in a little bit of a rigid design. Uh, so that's another tip. Try to avoid mimicking your DOM structure with your nesting unless you just don't care and love that. Then it's all you. It's CSS. I'm not going to stop you. The browser's not either. And so, yeah, it's just found it becomes a little bit less malleable in those uh, cases. Yeah, that's good advice. And something that I've heard from developers as well is that it's much easier to just add classes because the browser doesn't care. It's going to compile it. It's fast. It doesn't matter that you've added more classes to it. And it's a lot easier, like you said, if you start moving things around or you have different things that are displayed and hidden at different medias or different viewport sizes. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, something that we can all do and take to heart. Awesome. Hope that finds somebody well. (laughs) Yeah. So one question that I have is, as I was reading through the documentation, 
The ampersand is optional because there is now what has been deemed relaxed CSS nesting, which is the way that everybody wrote it when they were using SAS and less. But what is your take on it in terms of use it and have it be more explicit? Don't use it. Do both. What do you recommend to somebody who was just getting ready to start using this? This is a great question. And the folks who were chasing the spec with post-CSS and emulating all of the different behaviors would very much tell you to always use AND. And they can show you in what would look like a very simple little selector uh, that ends up being a really nasty thing that the browser has to try to do. And so I can't think of any examples. Plus, they're probably not going to mouth blog very well or pod blog or mouth pod or whatever it is that we're doing here. Anyway, just trust them, though, that like you could write something that seemed so innocent without the and. But I can even rewind a little bit. The reason that they would suggest to do it is because it takes out the ambiguity. When the browser is inserting it for you, there's times when it could catch you off guard. It can nest too deeply. So anyway, let's back up to the first version of the spec, which didn't have the relaxed nesting. It was this stricter syntax as we're referencing it these days and was always required. And that took out the ambiguity. This was when Tab was reflecting on what SAS was doing and the SAS team having issues with various types of nesting where they were finding their users were getting themselves into sticky situations with long nesting selectors that they didn't realize during authoring, or they got entirely different selectors out the other side than what they were expecting to get. So this can get quite tricky. It's like a little micro syntax, right? You're integrating with this alias macro swappy doppy type of um, behavior in your selector. I don't even expect any human to have an entire mental model of like how the browsers can actually, or a build tool, you know, you're not the build tool. So anyway, long story short is the original spec had the strictness, and I think that was very good. It was not annoying to write. I initially pushed back on it because I thought it looked weird and had some quote unquote like ugly moments. But at the same time, after I got used to it, I was like, no, this takes out the guesswork. This also allows me to do other special things because I wasn't doing anything ambiguous. I was always being very explicit with my nesting. But over time, and the requests from community, the requests from other working group members, the requests from many people, they wanted to get it as close to SAS as possible, since that was very much the type of nesting people were used to. And so we moved ourselves into this relaxed nesting, and it's not required. And that's when the post-CSS authors started showing up like, hey, we're making some funky stuff over here because and is not required. And everyone was basically just like shades dropped from the ceiling, like deal with it. And that's just where we are today is when I'm making demos that showcase the relaxed nesting, I obviously don't use and I'm like, look what you can do. If you look at almost all the places where I write my own nesting, I use the and symbol. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make you imagine it there sometimes and not imagine it there sometimes. I'm like, just read it and it'll be there and you'll know where it's supposed to be. Then you also don't find yourselves in positions where like a hover is a really good moment where people are going to find that they have to use and, but they don't know why at first. Mm -hmm. So they'll have a button, they'll write some styles, then they'll do colon hover. And they'll be like, surely this is hover on the button. And no, I'm so sorry, that is not the case. That is dot button space colon hover. Uh, so it'll only hover on the stuff as a child of your button, which is probably not what you want. So you have to put the and there without a space to the colon to strongly signal that this isn't a descendant selector, this is a compound selector. And it's almost like one of those linting rules. You're going to see teams that require and everywhere in a style lint, and you're going to see teams that don't. Mm -hmm. And both will probably succeed in various amounts of greatness, and it's going to be a preference 
Yeah, it sounds like a preference, but it also reminds me of JavaScript, whereas you don't necessarily have to have the semicolon at the end of statements, but sometimes the browser will misinterpret that in very special use cases and edge cases. And it sounds like the same kind of thing. You just be more explicit for future you and all the other future developers, and it will probably turn out better in the end. Cool. You mentioned in the spec CSS nesting and the parser, and I was hoping that you could talk a little bit more about the parser and how it works. So there's two articles on nesting I have. One is the original one when our first version came out, which does talk about the parser, and then the follow-up that articulates like relaxed syntax for nesting. I recently deleted the parser section out of that article because I felt like when you were learning at first, it was important to know the parser's role and how the parser would do things because we didn't have the relaxed syntax. So the relaxed syntax, okay, so let's just clarify this for everyone. The last part of the relaxed syntax allows you to say like UL, some styles, LI, no and, no class name, no dot, no hash, no colon, just a bare element reference. Mm -hmm. That was not allowed in the spec at first because the parser, how is the parser supposed to know that div or button weren't something else. So it was like a mystery. Like how could the parser, maybe it had a bunch of keywords, but now it's doing. So here's one of the limits of the parser. I like to think about the parser like Miss Pac-Man. Each dot that Miss Pac-Man is eating, hopefully people know Pac-Man. Otherwise it's going to be totally lost on you. It's a little yellow circle that like eats dots anyway. And it can only eat one dot at a time and it eats them at a line. This is exactly how the CSS parser works. It doesn't do a look ahead. It can't look to the end of the hall to know if it's going into a dead end or not. It eats each token as it finds it. And that's how it's always worked. And that's one of the reasons it's so fast. Anyway, so it's building it as it eats. And one of the things that was troubling about this was like, if it's building it as it eats, it doesn't know that there's a squiggly open bracket coming underneath the LI, for example. Mm -hmm. So by the time it hit that, it thought it was parsing a style property like color or background, but it actually parsed LI and would die, would just sort of like fail and be like, I don't know what to do. So Miss Pac-Man would be really sad. She ate something she didn't know how to deal with, had to go home for the day. (laughs) It's a great analogy. (laughs) That parser section, I originally wrote it because I was like, here's the signals or the sigils or the different things that you can provide to Miss Pac-Man. I'm just going to keep it going now. That signal that this is what it is. You can be very clear about what's next because right, we were omitting and originally was this clear sigil. You only needed one. You didn't have to worry about bare specifiers after that. All of these problems that we're about to talk about are only because AND is optional. So as soon as AND was optional, now we needed new sigils to signal that something wasn't a CSS property followed by value. It was actually a selector. That's where that parser section came in where I was like, hey, here's the symbols that signal to the parser that things are there. So you got like your direct descendant selector, which is like the, oh, is that the greater than or the less than sign? I think it's the greater than. It points to the right when your thing on the left is big. Anyway, the direct descendant selector, the dot for a class, the hashtag for an ID, the colon for a pseudo functional selector. These things were there. And if you didn't have one, you had to use the and. So I showed this little visual and I was like, imagine that you're looking at some styles. And if you see one of these symbols, you immediately know as the parser, I just ate a dot in the middle of some styles. This is obviously a class and I can parse the rest of this, assuming I'm starting a new selector and a whole new rule set. The brain of Miss Pac-Man could change as soon as she saw a hashtag or a dot. 
And so I taught that to people and said, this is how you can work well with the parser. Well, when relaxed nesting came out that could eat a bare specifier, like an LI or a div or whatever, those symbols were no longer needed for you to memorize. So you didn't have to remember to signal. We figured it out. And the story is actually pretty funny, but we were exploring. So the working group was talking about this and they're all not confident. Nobody's confident that we could parse this. Like seriously, everyone's in there going, this is not possible. It's not possible. We need someone to prototype it. We need someone to try. Like no one even really wanted to try. And so a couple of people signed up. Things went interesting because they didn't find a good way to do it. But what they did find was a way to do it, which is as soon as Miss Pac-Man eats LI and goes, eh, this isn't a CSS property followed by a value. They would look at Ms. Pac-Man and kick her a little bit and be like, hey, why don't you try again, but assume this time it's a selector. And so she'd wake up and be like, oh, okay, I'll just assume this LI is a selector. Hey, look, a curly bracket. Hey, I'm back in business. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the parser could understand bare selectors because they just turned it off and on again. And the cost of it was so fast because it was just like a try-catch try to parse this way. Did you fail? Try this. Mm -hmm. Is that failing still? Well, then the CSS is bad. But if that second follow-up works, then Miss Pac-Man continues on completely blind to the fact that she's in a nesting context and she'll just keep building out the CSS tree as it needs to get built out. Mm -hmm. and so that's why I removed the parser section. I'm like, you don't need to remember these sigils anymore <laughs> and is not required. And we figured it out. And so now it's in Safari, Firefox, and Chrome, relaxed nesting, and not required, memorizing sigils, not required. And the parser is back to where it was originally, where you don't have to think about it, which is nice. Now, is it available in which versions of those major browsers? Is it behind a feature flag in any of them, or is it really like any regular operating browser, it'll be able to parse it? All the evergreen ones, I'm pretty sure it's in the latest Chrome stable. If not, it's definitely in the next version. Mm -hmm. Chrome was the last to deliver the relaxed nesting. Uh, Firefox went straight for it. They showed up a little bit later, which was really nice. They didn't have to do all the iteration. They went straight for the good one. Uh, and Safari had easy time iterating on it as well. Relaxed nesting is in all three major browsers. It's safe to use. So you can ship less CSS. You can open up a code pen and start nesting in vanilla CSS. It's really fun. That is wild to even think about. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask, are there any tools or preprocessors that you would recommend for working with CSS nesting more efficiently? Is there anything that developers really need or could make them even faster? Per the CSS spec, it's worth noting that if you are currently using BEM in SAS, where you're expecting to be able to concatenate a selector, not make compound selectors, the spec as it's written today cannot concatenate like a BEM selector can. So you can't put your modifiers on there, your elements and stuff like that. You can't build it out dynamically. That's something you're going to have to continue using SAS for. If that doesn't matter to you, then you can use post CSS with the nesting plugin. They have one that uh, follows the spec and will allow you to write with the modern syntax, but still ship the old one in case that's important to you. And then another option, a Rust-based compiler as opposed to the post-CSS node one is Lightning CSS, very fast, follows the spec very well also, and has a whole bunch of other packed in goodies. So we're like, post-CSS is very a la carte, but you pick and choose each particular code mod that you want. Lightning comes with all of the standards of CSS built into it, like modern ones that might even be in a draft 
without you needing to a la carte them, and it will just compile them away. And so modern authoring in Lightning CSS automatically transpiled for you, or you can go a la carte and post CSS, build yourself into your own kind of custom scenario and output your CSS that way. So those would be my two suggestions if you're looking to build the styles away. But if you want to ship them, then don't load a plugin for any of those things. I think you can turn them off in some of these if you want to ship the nesting, which I've seen some files already that with nesting are 15% smaller. And I've seen other ones that are way more than that. So it just depends on how much repetition was in your file, right? If your file had a long class name repeated many times, there's a lot <laughs> to be saved. But if you weren't repeating very often, then you might not get a lot of savings, but still, yeah. That is good to know. And one thing that I wanted to dive a little bit further into, you mentioned at the beginning was compound selectors. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about how those are different than traditional selectors or how does nesting enhance their use? Yeah, compound selector, I think our earlier reference was dot button dot dark. That would be no spaces between the two. And that's compound because the elements that match must have both of those present in some way. And the way that works in nesting is you would start your styles for button and then you would say and dot dark. And that signals that the previous selector dot button is directly adjacent with dot dark. And that yields a compound selector. And compound selectors can have many compound members, I guess you could say. You can have four combinators, five all together at the same time. And one of the kind of critical things, if we're going to talk about compound selectors, is nesting had to solve something that CSS wasn't able to do. I mentioned earlier that is was crucial in helping CSS nesting have life. And that's because, let's see if I can do this in my mind. You have dot card, yes. space, footer, comma, uh, let's say header, comma, body. And then you have space icon like SVG. So you want all the SVGs in the card header, card footer, and card body to all have the same color. And maybe for some reason you needed to make that selector. Those three in the middle can't exist like I just mouse did them. You'd have to do dot card space colon is, then you'd list header, footer, body, and then you'd end your parentheses and do space SVG. That grouping in the center is a feature that is brought to selectors. You'd normally, before is, would have to have said dot card space footer space SVG comma dot card space body space SVG comma. I'm just not going to finish it. Anyway, you had to repeat it three times. And is, even without nesting, allowed us to group that center together. It's really cool stuff. This is widely important for nesting in a scenario where if I have dot card and I write some styles and let's say I wanted to nest a grouped selector inside of there where I said header comma footer comma body open up some new curly brackets and then even inside of there I nest the SVG. Mm -hmm. How does that how could before we had is there was no way for that all to get grouped together. It would have had to expand into three lines, which I don't think the parser was ready to do. We needed that concept of middle grouping and is unlocked that. And so that was another like springboard for the nesting spec was as soon as is was everywhere, it was like, oh, then I guess that means nesting is on the table. And compound selectors play into that because you can have a compound selector in the middle of a larger selector. Compound selectors can be inside of is, they can be outside of is. And so you still get the full power of CSS selectors within nesting and outside of nesting. And that was really important for nesting to be able to do that. That's why you can't do BEM. BEM treated nesting like strings and mm -hmm. the browser treats a selector like an object. It's a thing with richness and properties. It's not just a string, it represents something so much more. 
And so that's why you can't concatenate them. It doesn't make sense to concatenate the object of dash dash element to uh, some sort of block. Yeah. Those are two things that they just don't connect. They're not a string. I was actually wondering as I was reading the article and you were showing the examples with is versus CSS nesting, is there anything that is can do that CSS nesting cannot or vice versa? Not off the top of my head. It is worth knowing though that is is underneath the hood grouping things because mm -hmm. of the way that is works with specificity. And this is one of the things that a lot of the post CSS folks that were warning people about was the specificity of the outcome of their nesting can be surprising. Mm -hmm. And part of that is related to is. So colon is, you can put as many things inside of it, separate it with a comma as you like. And let's do the bad example first. Uh, you do a uh, dot card space colon is, and you open that up and you say, hashtag my form element, comma, also input, just regular input and parentheses. Mm -hmm is would take the two selectors that are inside of its parentheses and adopt the highest specificity one, not the lowest. And so this can trip people up as they're writing nesting, because if you did dot card, you opened up your styles, and then you did hashtag form, comma, input, opened up curly brackets and did some styles, is is going to be used inside of there, which means that input that you selected has the specificity strength of an ID which can be very surprising. And so knowing that is is unwrapping and grouping a lot of the attributes of nesting can help you free yourself from unwanted specificity issues. Mm -hmm. That is very good. And I'm pretty sure that I've run into that myself while using is or has also has been an interesting one and not as well. Has also, yeah. They're forgiving, but they also adopt the highest specificity. You're like, ah, double-edged swords, always. <laughs> there was a point at which I was like, can we nest with where? Mm -hmm. Can I nest and, and eliminate specificity? And they were like, no. Just no. And I was like, I can't win every battle, so it's all good. No, I'll just walk away from this one. It's okay. <laughs> so now that uh, CSS nesting is supported in all the major browsers in either strict or relaxed, depending on your browser version, how can developers do feature detection for CSS nesting? Because I'm sure that there are going to be users who are on non-standard browsers or just have an older version that doesn't support it. What can they do to debug nested selector styles? Because I've seen that DevTools doesn't have the best visual representations yet. And how can they figure out what's going wrong or whose browser does or does not support it? Yes. So feature detection is not so difficult, which is nice. You can open up at supports and after at supports, you'd specify your parentheses, which is going to be like what it is that you're trying to query support for. And there's a special function you can pass in there called selector. And so you pass selector, which is another function with parentheses. And inside of there, you can put an and symbol. And this will ask the browser, do you support the selector and? Mm -hmm. And if it comes back true, then the styles inside of that support selector will work. So if you want, you could wrap everything in that and progressively enhance into that. I think they're shipping soon with at import in CSS can now specify at supports. So you could also theoretically pass the selector and in your import and conditionally import. But that's like a whole other episode about conditional imports in CSS. They're a little different than what you think they are, but you still have the potential to save that there. Um, so that was checking for feature detection. And then the follow-up was DevTools. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so DevTools, um, we had a lot of design reviews as we worked with nesting. There was even some bugs in it until just about a week ago where like you'd be editing some styles in the styles pane and then all of a sudden and in a curly bracket would show up at the bottom of your styles and you're like, that, that shouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> Conversely, we've had a lot of work with what happens when you hover over and. Mm -hmm. We need to inform users of what is this representing so can we expand it for them in DevTools. We want to make it transparent what's happening as opposed to being opaque because things that are opaque stink. And then Firefox DevTools have done a really good job. Their DevTools are so polished and really nice. They have a little bit better syntax highlighting. It was also really difficult to sort of show the hierarchy. I was curious as a developer looking at a nested element that used CSS nesting, how much information do you want to see about the selector that you got there? Do you want to see the four levels deep that someone authored? Or do you want to just see the AND symbol and hover over it and see a concatenation of sort of the result of that selector. And you'll see different browsers offering different features in these areas, all of which we're just trying to help you understand what it is you wrote, because it can be a mis Yeah, it can be difficult to know sometimes. Yeah. So it's more a work in progress in terms of the dev tools of what is the best way to display it and help people understand what they want to see about a particular element. Yep. And in fact, I'm going to go on record right now and say that these styles pain is in pain right now. That's fun. I've never said that either. It's in pain because let's see, you got cascade layers, mm -hmm. you have at scope, you have nesting, you have media queries. What else stacks up there in front of the styles that you're writing? Anyway, there's like a whole bunch of cake layers above the rules that you wrote when you're like background red, it's going to be above that. It's going to be like, when the preference is dark and you're in this cascade layer and the scope is this selector and this and that. <laughs> Basically, the styles pane is really old at this point. Since like the firebug days, it has had zero innovation and it's in pain. And I mean that it's struggling to represent everything at this point. That little column, that little tiny column on the side is insufficient and we're reaching its limits right now quickly, especially as scope and nesting and layers all landed within a year or two of themselves. Yeah. Whew, something's gotta give. I think we're gonna see some innovation here. Somebody's gotta drastically change the game and the way that we inspect and understand uh, style resolution and cascade. I think we'll see it. Yeah, I was just about to say, with what you've just described, are people already working on what could be the new version of the inspector to help? handle all of this? I know, right? I wish I could say we were. <laughs> um, but DevTools is a web app. Hopefully that's not a surprise to people. So that's with the web showing you the web, which is very cool. I always love it when things very do meta. that. It's like a very meta. I like that TypeScript does that too. TypeScript is written in TypeScript. I'm like, I can totally respect that. <laughs> but these things are old. There's been churn in the employees that work on them. So this is across all of the DevTools of any browser. And the Styles pane is very complex and the way that it gets its information and so it basically it's a very gnarly thing that no one really wants to touch the other reason is the elements panel is the most viewed panel right no surprise millions and millions of views and opens and people go straight towards that side panel looking mm -hmm. for a color or a pixel value or whatever it is and if you change that on them they freak out they <laughs> seriously freak out because uh, you're like interrupting their day. <laughs> and so I don't know who's going to do it. 
like Polypane is a good example where very indie created browser lets you see your site across many different viewports and conditions. You can do like a light mode. Anyway, very cool product. Mm -hmm. And they've rebuilt their own kind of style presentation tier. You can also open up dev tools. So maybe they're primed for that. Killian, I'm talking to you. Maybe you, Killian, you want to make the next gen styles pane. Somebody's (laughs) got to do it. I think you're pretty well equipped. I don't know. So I think it's just a really complex application. That's a very complex and touchy part of it. And so that's why it hasn't seen innovation and it's only been piled onto, which is making the problem worse, which is also, I feel like every software company I've been at, we do that. We're like, God, this app is getting tough. And people are like, yeah, we need six new features. You're like, I'm adding them in. Here we go. Okay. (laughs) You know, just like years later, you're like, we should refactor. And then you're like, you can't. Some mm-hmm. things just become titanics. Yeah. So. And that's normally when the dev team throws out the existing application and just starts a new one over in a different framework. But you can't really do that with dev tools. Can't <laughs> do that with dev tools. They have been like iterating on dev tools, like components in it are now built with lit. Mm-hmm. There was a big TypeScript migration. So they tried to, let's get this thing a little bit ready to like modernize. Maybe we'll get more contributors because it was written very much like vanilla CSS and HTML before. And I don't think that's encouraged anyone to join, but maybe it has, it's brought a component model to it. And so maybe one day we'll see a lit styles pane that's super awesome. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We can always hope, but eventually it'll reach a breaking point and we'll either have to evolve it and make it better or... It will just, like you said, stop improving and everyone will have to deal with it as it is. It'll just be so scary. It's just like a, <laughs> no one wants to go there. The dark dungeon. Uh, don't open that door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the legacy app and nobody knows how it works, but it still keeps running. <laughs> yeah. That leads into a good question. What is in the horizon for CSS nesting? Are there challenges? Are there improvements? Are there already things that you're thinking of that could push it even further along? Yeah, I've always liked thinking about nesting in terms of levels. So the CSS specs have levels, level one, level two, level three. It's like versions of something. And so a browser can support a new version and usually that supports the old stuff. There are continued conversations about nesting that want to remove even more foot guns, make other things even easier to understand. And so we will see another iteration in terms of what those things are. I'm trying to think of some of the big complaints at the moment with nesting. Ah, here's one. Let's say you open up a card selector you got your curlies do some styles you write a media query say hey if it's dark mode flip the background all right cool you close up that curly bracket uh, you hit enter and then you write more styles Mm -hmm. so now you have styles nesting and styles Mm -hmm. the spec right now i think of it a lot like javascript hoisting where you got variables that you might have authored it down below but the javascript engine reads those and hoists them up to the top Right. And that's just how it works. And so the parser does the same thing here. And so the number one little foot gun that likes to get shared by people that are poking at this behavior is they'll say card color is blue. And then we'll say at media color is red. And then underneath that, they'll be like, color is green. <laughs> and they're like, okay, everybody, what's the color uh, in light mode? They'll be like, okay, let's just say light mode. What's the color in light mode? And most people would say the color at the very bottom which was green. Is that what I said? I think I mm-hmm. said green. So they'd be like, green, it came last. It's how the CSS has always worked. Green. Right. And then everyone goes, wrong. It's red because it got hoisted up above the nested media query. The media query kicked, oh crap, I guess the condition would have to be that it was in dark mode. Anyway, the point is the color that came after the nesting gets hoisted up to the top and it's no longer 
in the cascade flow as you read it. So some people would like to see that eliminated by teaching the parser again how to parse nested rules and not hoist them up to the top. So it's like, how do we remove that spec text? Because we'll look at SAS style sheets and every once in a while, you'll see people do that, where it's almost like someone showed up late to the party and they're just like, oh, I'll just put some styles on the end of this selector, right? It's very innocent. The way around it is a clever stinky hack, but it totally works is you can just say and space, open up curly brackets and write color green. Now it reads the first color, the second color. Hey, look, more nesting. And even though it's the same context as the previous one, it's just the word and there's no additional compound selectors. It is still technically nesting mm. and it's not hoisted. It is applied as it reads. And so you can work around this issue by putting an and in there. And a lot of people are like, that stinks. That is terrible. And we're all like, yeah, we could fix that. Yeah, let's fix that. <laughs> that is so confusing. I can see it in my head. I understand it, but I would hate it if I saw it written that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's originally how the media query nesting was too. You would nest, you'd be like, at media, first color scheme dark, open up curly brackets, and space, curly brackets, and then your styles. And the and, oh. just a bare and was a, a bare and. Oh, geez, don't say that too fast. Was required. And I was like, that stinks. Mm -hmm. It's ugly. And so I would even write at media prefers colors came dark space and space curly. Like I wouldn't new line it. And then I'd have a double curly at the end of the line there. And it'd be like, yeah, it's just ugly, but it's not as ugly as it was. But I was happy that we were able to remove that. So now there's an implicit. So if you do nest media queries, by the way, this is just a tip for everyone. Mm -hmm. You can open up your nested media query, write some styles, hit enter, and then start nesting more. So you could say like dot foo, open up curly brackets and keep nesting. But anything that's just naturally in there, it gets assumed to be put into an and for you. So we basically wrap the contents of that nested media query. Any styles that are loose get wrapped up for you. That's how we solved that one. Yeah, good to know. Adam, it has been great to talk to you. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on with CSS nesting that you think listeners would like to hear about? We touched on some good stuff. We talked about the good, the bad, the ugly, the future, the pain, the style's pain. One thing I would love for you to talk a little bit more about because it really blew my mind when I saw it was the ability to rearrange nesting contexts that you could switch from a child and a parent selector. If you could talk a little bit more about that and how it works, I would love to hear about it. Yes. And that leads into a cool trick that happens too. So this is more commonly known as like a parent selector, which is funny because we have has, which was supposed to be the parent selector, but then it turns out it's more like the family selector. So if you're thinking about like the card and you open up your selector and you can say dot button, that would say card dot card space dot button. If you did dot card dot button space and notice the and symbol isn't at the front. It's after the button. This essentially, as soon as the browser, so this is actually a good parsing moment, is if the browser sees that a late and that's not at the beginning, it actually begins an entirely new selector called dot button. And then it takes your card and sticks it there at the end, allowing you to rearrange on the fly different contexts for things. This is really cool in a button. So if you've got a, like a button, you'd open up and put your styles in there. You can say, open up a square bracket and do like data theme dark space and now you have dark theme styles nested inside of there in the context of when the HTML document is in dark mode. 
So it becomes surprisingly handy to invert the relationship between the nesting from always going from left to right to all of a sudden taking the previous contexts and sticking them somewhere else. So that's cool. That would be sort of pretty much like a parent selector or a reversal, role reversal. The other cool thing you can do is you can repeat and as many times as you want, which might sound useless, but it's actually cool. So you could be like a dot button, open up your curly brackets and inside of there be like, and open up curlies and do some styles. And it would just be like button, <laughs> right? They're objects. And now you have a compounded selector that understands itself. So I actually used this. If you've ever put a class inside of a class inside of a class, just do dot button, open it up and open up some curly brackets, do some styles and do some. Now you have the repeat. Well, that one I'd actually would do like dot button. The next one would be dot button. And then the third one would be that button. Anyway, um, it could be cool, but maybe it's a little too tricky. So I, I'd say like your linters might want to highlight repeated ands, but I don't know. There's still some like tricky use cases that can be fun, but those are cool little moments in nesting. Yeah, that reversal one is a really good one to point out because SAS has that too. It was originally in the spec as the at nest flag. So you could say instead of starting the selector with an and, you would say at nest, and then you could put an and anywhere you wanted in the selector, but that was also made Relaxed. So that's why the relaxed name comes from all of these stricter predecessors that would require things to send signals to the parser that we just taught the parser instead. Miss Pac-Man chewing up tokens. Nom, 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 nom. Eating everything. <laughs> <laughs> so for developers who are looking to learn more about CSS nesting, besides your well-written articles, which are great, are there any books or other resources that you would recommend they go check out for more information? I've seen a very good post by Ahmad Shadid very recently come out. The Lightning CSS documentation, or just they have a REPL of Little Playground, is a great place to just go try it out and see the results that come out the other side. My CodePen has almost exclusive nesting examples now where I don't need to import post-CSS. I'm very happy to be doing that. But it's still new enough. I don't think there's any books on it. PPK, Peter, he's writing a book that will have a nesting section on it. That's what I got for now. Hopefully that helps somebody. I'm sure it will. And I guess the last question is, how has the web community responded? You said that the post-CSS people have been giving a lot of feedback and you've gotten some really good feedback from internal working groups, but what are the regular developers who are using this? What are they telling you about it? They liked relaxed syntax. A lot of early adopters didn't care. They were like, I'll put the end everywhere. I don't care. I just am happy to get rid of a build tool. Other people were like, no, it's too weird. It needs to be just like what I have or else I'm unhappy. We didn't talk about this, but some of the churn was from surveys where Chrome hosted a survey. We were like, hey, everybody, we're like looking at this relaxed versus strict versus these other. There was a bunch of proposals. Basically, as soon as the strict syntax got enough scrutiny from members and community where they were like, come on, relax it. This is not cool. Um, surveys went out and inquired from the community. We had lots and lots of responses. The responses, honestly, were like quite supportive of both. Half of the people were like, I'll take strict. It's no foot guns, very explicit. I was going to do this in my linter anyway, type of people. <laughs> and, and other people that are like, I basically want to copy and paste from SAS or this is dead to me. And they all still exist. You know, it's not like those people are gone anywhere. So they're still out there. Basically, the relaxed syntax is cool because it lets people do both. So look, if you liked the strict syntax, then just keep writing it that way. Don't even worry about relaxed use cases. So that's where we are. It was nice though, bringing in the community in these surveys and, and using that information. I felt like that was a strong part of the, although it also caused a lot of churn in the working group too, because we thought we had something, then we'd make a survey and then we look at the survey and be like, nah, we need another survey. I think we did three surveys. It got a little exhausting. 
But anyway, again, you know, we took the rock, we turned it and turned it. I think we got ourselves a pearl with just that trailing styles after nesting issue that needs a little TLC. <laughs> I'd say you've made an excellent compromise for the people who want the stricter and everybody who wants to just copy and paste their SAS, like you said. Thank the working group and everyone who ever said anything about it. It was really good. It just took people getting noisy. Like I got noisy. Other people got noisy. We all vocalized what it is we're looking for, what it is we wanted. And I think it's a good example of the CSS working group collaborating and deliberating into something that ended up being really nice in the end. So it's a good success story, I think. Thanks so much for joining us to talk about it. It's really been a pleasure to have you back on the podcast again. Of course. Thanks for having me. This has been really fun. Thank you.